know, this, uh, this morning, we're, we're jumping into kind of a new rhythm, uh, a new series over the next four or five weeks. And I, wanna, I just want to lay the framework for what it is that we're going to jump into and why it is that we're jumping into this. And so, you know, typically the fall at Ethos, I'm sure this is true in lots of different contexts, but here at Ethos, typically the fall is a season where everything is just kind of ramping up. You know, people are coming back from vacation, our college students are, are coming back. Can we just show some love to our college students that are showing up? It's so great to, to have you. College students are coming back. How? House churches are launching. We'll talk more about that later um, today. House churches are launching, new ministry opportunities in the city, all of these things. And typically the fall is just this season where everything is just kind of like, all right, it's go time. And I was, I was reflecting on that this morning. It's, it's interesting. I don't know if you've thought about this, if you've been with us for some time. But in some ways, this is like the first normal fall we've had in three years, which is nuts. <laughs> like, you know. 2020 like was just what a crazy year that was and then 2021 we had just started meeting back in person because our venues had been shut down with COVID and everything we had we were just starting to meet back in person and then right after we started meeting back in person we found out we were losing the cannery which is just like a wonderful welcome back you know and felt real great you know all that change and transition and it's just been a wild couple of years and, and normally this is the time where where we we, we go okay here's here's where we're going <laughs> Here's where we're going, and, and just to be clear, this will be a great time of year to do, like here's where we're going, and there's gonna be a little bit of that, but more than the here's where we're going, I want us to go, here's who we are. Like, like here's who we're becoming, like here's some of the things that we're gonna prioritize and lean into together as, as God's people, and I, I wanna be really clear, although there are some things that I miss about life in 2019, there is nothing in me that believes that it is God's desire to take us back there. God does not want to take us back. God wants to move us forward. And I believe what he has for us in the days ahead is far more beautiful and brilliant and significant and challenging than any of us understand. And I just want to say this as plainly as I know how to say it. Our 2019 way of doing church together is not going to suffice in the days ahead. There's kind of one foot in the church, one foot in the world, like, I'm just saying, it's just not gonna suffice in the days ahead. And we want this to be a place where we come as we are in all of our strengths and weaknesses and brokenness and needs, but we come to the person of Jesus for the purpose of transformation, understanding that God puts you on earth for more than the consumption of a few songs, few sermons, a little bit of service, a little bit of giving, and then I go about my business. Now, God wants to radically disrupt, transform, breathe life in you and through you for the sake of those that are around you. And I'm just saying, country club Christianity. Can we just bury that in 2019? And can we resurrect New Testament future-oriented ways of being disciples of Jesus? Where we go, man, we don't have to be perfect, but let's at least just be all in. <laughs> let's come with our whole heart, even if the whole heart is broken and jacked up and messed up and dysfunctional. I and mean, I'm telling you, if I was the only person in this church, that would be true of me. But let's just bring it, let's just put it all on the table and go, God, we think there is more. We think there's more. And over the next five weeks or so, it's not gonna be an, exhausted, an exhaustive exploration of that. But I just wanna give us a few like anchors to go, hey, as we come into the future together, 
Let's come into the future with all that we have. Let's come into the future with all that we are, trusting that God wants to do more. Is anybody down for that? Does anybody want that kind of like, okay, a couple of us, that's good to know. Okay, you know, change the world with a few people. <laughs> we'll change the world with a few people. And so this morning, if you're the note-taking, note-taking type, we're, we're, just gonna, we're just gonna simply start here. What does it mean to be a people marked by the presence of God? Like, what does it mean to be a people marked by the presence of God? Here's the downside. We could spend the next thousand Sundays on this and not get to the bottom of it. But I just wanna give us, I just wanna give us a baseline. And so, Lord, we just come in your presence this morning. Father, we recognize that whether we understand you or not, you understand us. And you're here. And God, we want more. We long for more. God, we long for just a bubbling up, a stirring up. That God, you would strengthen, that you'd speak, that you would lead, that you would fill, that you would inhabit, that you would mark our lives with your very presence. And God, may it be unmistakable to those around us. In the name of Jesus, I pray and give thanks. Together we say, amen. Earlier this summer, one of my best friends and coworkers, a guy named Dave Colbreth, um, those of you that are friends with Dave, you probably call him Cully. That's his uh, nickname that we gave him in college. Uh, Cully and I worked together uh, with Onward, which is our church planning ministry. And we were supposed to have a meeting uh, at the end of June in Kansas City. And we we're pumped about this meeting and uh, lots of exciting things that were supposed to happen. And so the plan was that we were gonna fly into Kansas City, we we're gonna have this meeting, fly back the next day, and then a few days later, Cully and his family were gonna drive uh, to Colorado where they're gonna do uh, family vacation. And so in early June, Cully shows up and he goes, hey, I've got this great idea. And I'm like, okay, give me the idea. He said, here's the idea. Instead of uh, using modern technology and flying to Kansas City, do you wanna drive to Kansas City? And instead of just driving to Kansas City for our meetings the next day, uh, let's wake up and let's drive from Kansas City to Colorado, but instead of acting like normal people and using the interstate, let's use back roads. Do you wanna do that with me? <laughs> and I'm like, bro, that's a terrible sales pitch. You know, like 21 hours of driving, three meetings, I get to Colorado, I'll fly back by myself, you're there on vacation. I'm like, this doesn't seem like a great pitch, but um, he sold it. I'm like, dude, I'm in, let's, let's do this. And so we, we got in the car, end of June, we drive to Kansas City, we have these incredible meetings for a couple of hours. The next morning we wake up and we just drive through Kansas. And I'm just curious, uh, have any of you driven through Kansas? Just raise your hand. Okay, now raise your hand if you enjoyed it. I'm just curious. Is there anybody out there that's like, man, I love Kansas. Like I, I'd driven through Kansas one time, like 10 years earlier, still have PTSD from it. Just like, just driving just like 10 hours of nothingness. And so we get to Kansas City the next morning, we wake up and we, we're driving through these back roads of Kansas and, and we get to Colorado. And the next morning I wake up early and I fly back to Nashville and Sydney and the boys picked me up from the airport and they said, how, how was it? I said, it was unbelievable. It's an unbelievable trip. Do you know how it's you know unbelievable? <laughs> I promise you it wasn't the sights we saw. I promise you it wasn't the food that we ate. I promise you it wasn't because of all of the activity, the stuff that we had on the schedule. What made that trip, those 21 hours in the car, unbelievable is the presence of the person that I was with. It's like, dude, dude the reality is I would drive to Canada and back if that guy was in the car. 
It's like, this is the baseline, right? This is the baseline of a great friendship or of a great relationship. The baseline of a great friendship is when you strip all of the bells and whistles away, all of the activity, all of the busyness, all of, when you strip all of that away, you just actually enjoy each other. It's like, why did I like drive through Kansas especially? Well, because Cully was in the car. His presence was there. Man, that's, that's true in friendship. It's true in marriage. You know, some of you are single and you're like, man, you're just like longing for that person. And it's like, okay, what do you want in that person? And you have a list of like 15 physical attributes, which are fine. You know, it's like, this is what I want them to look like. And uh, nothing wrong with attraction. You know, Sydney is super attracted to me. And... Uh, <laughs> Nothing wrong with attraction. I'm just telling you, when you're looking for a spouse, here's what you need to look for. Someone that is crazy about Jesus and someone that won't drive you crazy when you hang out for the next 75 years on an ordinary Tuesday night. What makes marriage beautiful? It is literally, you enjoy their presence. Friendship, marriage, parents and their kids. Man, it's not every activity and everything. It's no, we, we, we just love being in each other's presence. And guys, this is the mark of a mature, healthy, faithful church. It's one of the marks. It's not just songs and sermons and service to the community. It is a group of people who both individually and communally come together going, hey, we want nothing else or no one else other than the presence of God. The mark of a life Breathing, life-giving church is a church that is disappointed if they only get great songs and sermons but leave without encountering the presence of God. To be a disciple is, is we show up and we go, man, God, we just want you. We just want you. It's what we talked about last week. We just, we just want you, God. You can go back and uh, you can listen to the podcast if you weren't here last week, but I go, man, I long to be a part of a move of God in our day and age where Christians come together, not around a voice or a person or a style of worship, but we just come together in the presence of God and go, God, you're enough. One of the things that we do with our boys on a regular basis is we just ask them the question, what do you think heaven's gonna be like? And I love listening to their little descriptions. There's gonna be a pool in our room, you know, and unlimited ice cream, and we're gonna jump into piles of gold. And I'm like, Man, that's, I think that's, you know, Scrooge McDuck, you know, like, I don't know if that's biblical, but, you know, just this, like, stirring up of, man, this is, this is what it's gonna be like. And, man, I think heaven is gonna blow our minds in ways that we could never ask or imagine. But here's what I want you to know, is if you showed up in the eternal kingdom of God, and the only thing there was God himself, I promise you, you could sit in his presence, your soul would feast forever, and you would never get tired or bored. You just go, oh my, you're more than we needed. And to be the people of God, it is to be a people who dwell in his presence. Remember years ago when we were getting ready to, to start onward and we were wanting to plant churches, there was this guy in Southern California who had done an amazing job discipling and raising leaders up and sending them out. And so Brandon Steele and I flew out to California to meet with this guy and I was ready to just learn everything that he had. And he took us out to, to eat at this small little Mexican restaurant within walking distance of their church office. And I had my, my journal out, I'm just ready. And I'm like, hey, what is it that you look for in a leader? And I'll never forget what he said to us. He said, here's what I look for in a leader. He said, I look for a man or I look for a woman that enjoys Jesus deeply. And I was just like, man, that's it. What's it mean? Who are we becoming? What do we want to step into as we move into the future? 
We will be a people of his presence. We are gonna be a people of his presence. We are a people of his presence. We are going to become a people of his presence and we will long for more and more of his presence. I love this moment in Exodus chapter 33. I'll give you the cliff notes up until this point if you're not familiar with the story. The first part of Exodus is about God getting his people out of the mess that they're in, getting them out of 400 years of physical and spiritual bondage and slavery. He raises up this nobody from nowhere, a guy named Moses, to bring the people out of their bondage. And he brings them out of slavery. And the second half of the book is not about God getting them out of the mess anymore. It's about God growing them up into their heavenly destiny, growing them up into their identity. And so God knew that he couldn't just take them out of Egypt and put them straight into the promised land because they'd bring all of the thoughts of Egypt, the ways of Egypt, the worship of Egypt into the promised land. And so God gives them this in-between period in the wilderness. And the wilderness was not a punishment, it was a season of pruning because God knew that the people didn't just need to come out of Egypt, but Egypt needed to come out of the people. And so he's refining them and testing them and it's going really good for the most part. And then you get to Exodus chapter 32 and Moses has gone up on the mountain to receive the 10 commandments. He's been there for just a little over a month and the people go nuts, they lose their minds. And sometimes we read Exodus and it's like, how'd that happen? And then you just think back to COVID and it's like, oh, that's how it happens. Took like three weeks for people to go nuts. Just crazy. Here they are, a little over a month. Moses is up on the mountain. He's left the people with Aaron, his brother, and the youth intern in charge for the summer. And Aaron just drives the ship right off the tracks. You know, he makes this golden calf. And there's this moment at the end of Exodus 32. Here's the summary for you where, where, where God goes, Hey, I can't keep drawing near to them if this is the way that they're going to treat my presence. And so God and Moses are having this DTR, this determining the relationship kind of conversation at the end of Exodus 32. And we get into the first part of 33. Look at verse one with me. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people that you brought up out of Egypt and go to the land that I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give this land to your descendants. And I will send an angel before you to drive out all of your enemies. He names five of the enemies there in the land. Verse three, he says, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you're a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you along the way. I just wanna ask you just a simple question this morning and I know it's gonna be hard to do this. It's, I'm gonna ask you a question and do your very best to be honest just in the context of your heart. It's tough to be honest in a place like church. But if God would give you everything you've ever wanted if every prayer would be answered with a resounding yes in an immediate moment, if God gave you everything you ever wanted but he withheld himself, would you take that deal? If God gave you the financial breakthrough, the relational breakthrough, the spiritual breakthrough, the the physical breakthrough, the healing of cancer, he he restored the family, the marriage, everything it is that you've been praying for, If, if God gave you everything you've ever wanted but he withheld himself, would you take the deal? And I know what I'm supposed to say because I'm in Sunday, I'm preaching right now. I'm like, I know the answer to this. I know what bubble to fill in on the Scantron. But just like in the context of your actual life and in the context of my actual life, like like what is the posture of our heart to that reality? 
And this is the litmus test. This is the line of demarcation between a religious person and a person that's walking in a relationship with the living God. See, a religious person says, hey, I don't have a friendship with the living God anyways, and my prayers aren't getting answered. So if I can get my prayers answered, who cares if I don't have the relationship I'm already not having? See, the religious person goes, hey, I'll take the stuff and I'll take it or leave it whether or not I get God. But the disciple of Jesus the person that's experienced the nearness and the goodness and the glory of God goes, hey, if I could have everything except for the presence of God, I go, I don't know that I want it. And this is a really interesting moment in the life of God's people. God says, hey, I wanna give you everything you think you've ever wanted. Here's the promised land, you can have it. Here's an angel to protect you. I'm gonna provide for all of your needs. The land's gonna be flowing with milk and honey. All this stuff is, is gonna happen. You can have Moses, your leader, your safety blanket, your, your professional clergyman, you can have him. But here's the deal, you cannot have my presence, my nearness, my closeness. Everything you ever want except for me. It's an astounding proposition that the Lord makes for his people, right on the tails of their rebellion. And this is one of the only moments that I remember where the Israelites, the people of God, just immediately make the right decision. You know, normally they're just screwing things up. But look at verse four. It says, when the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments or jewelry. Verse five, for the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people, and if I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Verse six, so the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. There's this moment where they go, man, Lord, if we could have it all but not have you, we don't like that. We don't like that scenario. And so I love this, Moses, he now gets back into the presence of God, verse seven. It says, now Moses, he used to set up a tent outside of the camp some distance away. And he called it the tent of meeting and anyone who had a question for the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside of the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise and stand at the entrance to their tents, watching Moses until he entered. And as Moses would go into the tent, the pillar of the cloud, God's presence, would come down and stay at the entrance. And while the Lord spoke with Moses, whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshiped, each at the entrance of their own tent. I love this. And the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. In other words, not in riddles, parables, visions, or dreams, God would just speak to him. And then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, his intern, his friend Joshua, son of Nun, would not leave the tent. Now I was in the tent, verse 12, that Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me to lead these people, but you have not let me know with whom you will send me. You've said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me, Moses. But God, if you're pleased with me, teach me your way so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is yours. And so, so Moses is just pleading with God going, hey, I don't, like this, I don't like this deal. I don't like this system where we get all the blessings, but we don't get you. Verse 14, so the Lord replied, Moses, my presence will go with you. I don't know if you write in your Bibles, you should underline that word you because God is saying, hey, Moses, my presence will go with you, singular, and I will give you singular rest. But Moses said to him, God, if your presence does not go with us, plural, do not send this up from here. Moses is going, God, you remember what happens when you were with me on the mountain? You remember what happened in them? Moses is going, hey, I don't need a scenario where the people allow me to do the heavy lifting for them. He goes, we need your presence as a people. We need you. Verse 16, 
He said, how will anyone know that you are pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? I love this verse. What else will distinguish me and your people from all of the other people on the earth except your presence? And the Lord said to Moses, I'll do the very thing you've asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. And then verse 18, Moses said, Lord, show me your glory. I, I love this scene that unfolds here in Exodus 33. The, the, the people have rebelled against God. God is saying, hey, you can have everything or you can have me. What are you gonna choose? And the people begin to mourn and Moses begins to plead because at the end of the day, they understood that their community, listen guys, please tune in on this. Their community was not marked by their morality or their religious habits or their practices or their branding or the band or the worship. It was literally the manifest presence of God in their midst. And they go, that's it. <laughs> and if you take all of that away and we have everything else, this thing won't work. <laughs> because they knew they were a people of presence. Remember the night before Sydney and I got married, we were having our rehearsal, our wedding rehearsal at Scarab Bennett Chapel where we got married. And uh, if you've ever been a part of a wedding rehearsal, it's where you just kind of go through all the motions for the next day. Here's where you stand. Here's what you do. Here's the questions they're gonna ask. And so we have the wedding rehearsal. And then I get in the car after the rehearsal and I'm going to the rehearsal dinner, which is always fun. You go with your closest friends and family members and you eat a meal and your friends make fun of you. And, um, and it's just kind of how it happens. And so I'm driving down 19th Avenue South in my friend's car going to the rehearsal dinner when my phone rings and I'll never, my voice cracked. I'm going through puberty as well. Um, <laughs> Nicole, can you edit that out of the podcast? Can you make that part deeper? Um, so I'm driving down 19th Avenue South with my buddies on the way to the rehearsal dinner and my phone rings and I, I never forget to pull up my phone and on, on the little uh, caller ID is Sydney's name and I just freak out, panic. And I tell my buddy, I'm gonna pull over the car and, and he, he's like, what's going on? I pull over the car, he pulls over the car, I jump out, I just start running down 19th Avenue South and my buddy's like, what is happening here? And, and I'm freaking out because Sydney has called me and the reason she's called me is because she's not in my car and the reason she's not in my car is because I had forgotten her at the chapel. And the reason I had forgotten her at the chapel is because I'm an idiot. And so I'm running back to the chapel and I'm like, man, maybe I can get on the presence of the chapel before she notices my absence. And spoiler alert, didn't make it. And so I open the phone, I'm answering, I'm out of breath. Hey, why are you out of breath? I'm like, I'm running down 19th Avenue South trying to get in shape for tomorrow, you know? And, and uh, she's like, why are you running? And I said, because I was driving to the rehearsal dinner and I forgot you. And, and I, I'm just telling you, I'm not sure what your goals are for starting marriage. Um, that should not be on your list. Um, and so I go back and get in the car with her. We drive to the rehearsal and have some intense conversation and fellowship all the way there. And I, I'll never forget this moment. We're, we're in the driveway of the rehearsal dinner and Sydney is, uh, she is hot, both physically and metaphorically. And, <laughs> and she, is, she is upset about what's just uh, unfolded for good reason. And I'll never forget, she just said, hey, how long would it have taken someone like you, which wasn't a compliment, by the way, um, how long do you think it would have taken someone like you to have noticed that I wasn't even there? And guys, that stung because I knew the answer. I'm, I'm an off-the-chart extrovert. I would have walked in that room, shaken every hand, kissed every baby, hugged every person. I would have been halfway through the meal, and I'm like, hey, you may see Sid. Where's Sid at? And she just knew the truth. She knew that I could get along just fine in the party, even if her presence wasn't there. 
Guys, I'm just telling you, every single Sunday, you can show up in a church in this city, you can receive songs, sermons, opportunities to serve, all sorts of things can go on, and it is possible to do the whole church thing for a really long time and never stop to ask the question of God's presence. Is he actually with us? Is he actually among us? And Moses goes, hey, don't send us out of here. Don't send us out of here unless you're with us. Because what makes the party a party is the presence of God. As we move into the future, it's like we're not opposed to all of the things that it feels like I'm just hammering on. I, I want you to be clear, I'm not opposed to those things. But I just wanna make sure that we don't cultivate a way of doing life with God that could be possible if God himself weren't with us. I don't wanna cultivate a way of doing church where it's just like, hey, Jesus, if you choose to show up, that's great with us. Otherwise, we'll just keep going on. It's, it's like, no, we are a people of presence. I wanna just take the last couple of minutes before we receive communion, we worship. I just wanna try to bring this down to the ground. What does it look like for us to be a people who are cultivating the presence of God in our life. And there's probably a thousand things that we can mention. I'll just mention a couple. I'll just kind of watch the time. Number one is this. We are a people who every day are growing in our awareness of God's nearness. We are a people that are growing in our awareness of God's nearness. This sense that he is around us and within us and upon us and before us. There's this sense that nowhere we go do we go without the Lord. As a family, we've been working through Psalm 139 uh, over the dinner table, just kind of slowly meandering through Psalm 139. And the other night we got to Psalm 139 verse seven where David asked this interesting question. He says, God, is there anywhere that I can go away from your presence? Like in other words, is there anywhere on earth that I could find myself in which you would not be there with me? And we were just kicking, kicking that around with our boys. It reminds me of Psalm 32, verse eight, where God says, I wanna lead you, I wanna instruct you with my loving eye upon you. We were just talking with our boys the other night at the dinner table, and we're like, hey, what's it, what would it feel like if you woke up tomorrow and you had this profound sense that God was closer than your breath? And there were some really encouraging things they started saying. They're like, you know, we'd never be lonely and we'd never be scared and we'd be filled with power. And you know, like, they're saying like all the good stuff, which is so true. They're like, we'd always have a friend. Jesus is a friend, there's a friend next to you. And just all that stuff, which is so good. And then our youngest son, just so honestly, he goes, well, dad, that's also kind of scary. He goes, because I've done some stuff. I'm like, dude, you're eight, let's talk. Like, uh, <laughs> what do you mean you've done some stuff? But it's so true, guys, like when, when our minds begin to embrace this reality, this, this awareness of God bubbles up within us, I want you to just think about how different your life would be if every second of every day you believed that the creator of the universe was closer than your breath. Boy, think of the way that you'd face darkness and loneliness and fear and insecurity. It would be eradicated with the awareness of how much your loving father draws near to you. Man, think, away, think about the way that this would change your dating relationships. 11 o'clock on a Friday night and you guys have just finished watching a third show and one thing is leading to the next and you're trying to slow down the train but you can't. If literally in your mind went, man, a holy God is right here in our midst. How would that change the way that you date? 
How would the awareness of God change the way that you speak, the way that you think, the motives under everything? And what my boys were saying at the dinner table was profoundly simple and true, that when we grow in the awareness of God, it is both unbelievably encouraging and it is unbelievably sobering. And it transforms everything. Think about a friend of mine in high school that just loved the Lord, and he had this way, when he would show up in our presence, his presence made us all better. <laughs> he would be around, and I'm like, I'm not gonna tell that joke if he's here. <laughs> We're not gonna watch that show if he's here. And there was, this, there was this elevation of our character because of this presence. This is the awareness of the Lord. So what's it mean to become a people that are growing in presence? We're growing daily in our awareness of the Lord. I'll give you another one. We're not just growing in our awareness. Number two, we're growing in our hunger for the Lord. And I spent 40 minutes talking about this last week, so once again, I'm not gonna dive in too deep here, but there's this thing that begins to happen in you when you experience the, the glory, the goodness, the love of God, where you know, maybe when you first became a Christian, 10 minutes in the morning with your Bible was enough to satisfy your thirsty soul. And then you start going a little bit longer and it's like, no, I need 20 minutes, I need 30 minutes, I need an hour. I'm just hungry, I wanna be near him. Earlier this week, I was walking around uh, our neighborhood with a guy that has been a part of our church. He started coming to our church when he was 14 years old, became a follower of Jesus. God was just stirring things in him and he was telling me about his life. And I said, hey, just, I said, tell me, tell me what your life with God looks like. He said, well, when I was about 15 years old, he said, I kept waking up earlier than my brother's and he said, I just wanted more of God. And God, said, God kept saying, get up earlier and earlier and earlier. And he said, since I was about 15 or 16 years old, five or six days a week, I wake up at 4 a.m. and just spend a couple of hours in the unhurried presence of God. And I heard that and I went, man, what a loser. <laughs> Only three hours in the unpresence. <laughs> no, I heard that and I went, oh my goodness, this teenage kid, hungry hungry for the presence. And I went, man, I want more God. I want more God. Maybe it starts with 10 minutes. But it grows. And this is, this is part of what's happening. It's part of what we're leaning into here, that, that on our own, we go, hey, God, we want more of you. We're growing in hunger. But then we come together collective, uh, collectively with a bunch of hungry people. And it's like a bunch of teenage dudes at a pizza party. The food shows up, and they're just ravenous. I go, can you imagine like being a part of a worship gathering where people go, man, forget everything else. I just want God. I remember a few years ago going up to Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Tabernacle. If you ever want to take an amazing spiritual pilgrimage, go to the Brooklyn Tabernacle on a Tuesday night for the prayer service. I've been there a few times in my life. It's unbelievable. But I remember this one night in particular, I get there, it'd been pouring rain, the subway system had been flooded, so a lot of people were struggling to get there, and I show up in this auditorium with a few thousand people that are soaking wet, and the guy that was leading the prayer service gets up on the stage and he says, hey, our band got stuck in the subway, we're not sure if they're gonna be here tonight. He goes, but I know none of you came here for the band, and none of you came here for the preaching, we came here to collectively enjoy the Lord together. And so he stands up on the stage in front of a few thousand people. He goes, he goes, I'm not a great singer. I'm gonna sing the first sentence of a song and then let's just worship the Lord. And if the band shows up, great. And if not, great, we'll just worship the Lord. And he starts a song and all of a sudden, I'm just telling you, a couple thousand people just begin enjoying the Lord together because they were hungry for God. When you cultivate the presence of God in your life personally and you come together communally, 
all of a sudden there's more awareness per square inch in the room than there was when you left your home. We're people of presence. We, we long for his presence. We hunger for his presence. We're aware of his presence. I'll just give you another one. We're transformed by his presence. I think every single Sunday this summer when I preached, I mentioned 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And one week I had a guy say, hey, when are you gonna quit mentioning that verse? I said, when we start believing it, I'll quit mentioning it, okay? So when we actually believe that transformation happens by simply enjoying, beholding, experiencing the manifest presence of God, then I'll quit preaching this verse. I love the way Eugene Peterson mentions it or shares this verse in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. Look at this. He says, whenever though they turn to face God as Moses did, God removes the veil and there they are face to face. They suddenly recognize that God is a living personal presence, not a piece of chiseled stone. And when God is personally present, a living spirit, that old constricting legislation is recognized as obsolete. We're free of it, all of us, nothing between us and God. Our faces shining with the brightness of God's face. And so we were transfigured, much like the Messiah, our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives as we become like him. I love that summary of 2 Corinthians 3.18. It's like, man, we're, we grow in awareness of his presence. We grow in a hunger for his presence. And as that happens, we experience transformation in his presence. We become like our friends, we act like our friends, we think like our friends, and what happens when your closest friend becomes the living God? Things change. For the sake of time, I'll, just, I'll give you one more. To be a people of presence is not just awareness or hunger or transformation, it's power. Guys, the early church was, was marked by this presence of God. You don't see the early disciples going, hey, you should show up at the synagogue. We really want you to hear this guy that's gonna speak. <laughs> hey, you should show up at the synagogue. We really want you to hear this gal that's gonna lead us in worship. It's like, no, they, they, people would show up and they go, man, the presence of God is there. And so what happened is people were drawn to the power of God's presence. The sick were healed. People were set free from the demonic. People were saved. Things were changed. Like, I mean, I just imagine this season where we leave this building on a Sunday, the presence of God lingers. Sunday night, people show up for a, con, uh, for a concert and they're saved. People show up on Sunday mornings just going, hey, I just wanna come in and worship because the presence of God is there and I get healed wherever God is, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. The presence of the Lord is not just something we're aware of and hungry for and transformed by. It becomes the distinguishing mark of God's power among us. And the baseline for who we wanna be as we move into the future is a people who long for the presence of God and do whatever it takes in our lives to get there. You know, maybe you're sitting there this morning and you go, that sounds great for Moses, that sounds great for you, that's just not my story. If only you knew what I did, if you only you knew who I was. Here's what I love is this is the essence of the gospel. <laughs> Ephesians chapter three, verse 12. Jonathan, if you'll throw that up on the screen for me, I love this. What's Ephesians chapter three, verse 12 say? It says, it is because of Christ and our faith in him that we now come boldly and confidently into what? Shout it out, into? 
We come into God's presence not by our work, not by our piety, not by our religion, not by our strength. We come in as humble spiritual beggars covered by the blood of the cross with our hands wrapped around the cross. And it's there we go, okay, Lord, the way in to your presence, the way to be filled with your presence and led by your presence is not your strength, your goodness, your piety. It is the goodness, the strength, and the beauty of Jesus. And you cling to him, the moment he died on the cross, the curtain was torn in two, the Holy of Holies, and all of a sudden, anybody could get in. Anybody can get in, but the way in is through Christ. And some of you this morning go, man, I want more of whatever that idiot up on stage is talking about. And I'm just gonna say, hey, here's where it starts this morning. It's you coming into the presence of Jesus surrendering to who he is as Lord and Savior, letting him tear open that veil and bring you all the way in. And then together, for those of us that are followers of Jesus, filled by the Spirit of God in community, we're gonna keep stirring up that hunger for his presence. We're gonna keep growing in our awareness of his presence. We're gonna keep being transformed in his presence. And by God's grace, we'll see power in his presence. Let's stand up together. I wanna pray over you as we get ready to receive communion. Father, I love that you are better than anything that I could say, that your scriptures are more true than I know how to articulate. And God, I just ask that you would take everything that was shared this morning from your spirit, that you would plant it in our hearts, anything that came just from me, that you would erase it from our minds. And that God, you yourself would stir up a longing, a desire, a hunger for your presence. Father, as we worship this morning, we are acknowledging your presence among us. You tell us that you sit enthroned on our praises. God, as we break the bread and as we receive the cup, you tell us that you are there in in the meal among us, with us. You tell us that wherever two or three gather in your name, that you're here. And so God, as we circle up for prayers, we receive communion as we worship you. Lord, these are not acts. These are, these are our way of saying, hey, we are responding to the truth of your nearness to us. And so Lord, would you just bring down the veil? Would you draw near to us this morning? Would you open our eyes and our hearts to who you are and how close you are? God, for any unbelievers in the room who don't yet know you, God, you could do more in a second than I could do in a lifetime of sermons. Would you just reveal yourself to be true? In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. Hey, I love you. What a gift to get to worship the Lord together. Let's receive communion. It's on the tables around the room. Get the bread, get the cup. Come back and sit in your seats and talk and process and pray and confess sin and stir up your hunger for the presence of God together. If you wanna receive prayer, there's men and women at the Respond Banner. We'd love to pray for you. Love you very much.